Man, I do love that saxophone. Hey, we are live tonight. We'll be talking to Ben Alexander, owner of Made uh, Made Maine Meadworks. I got to put my glasses on, guys. Uh, huh. Maine Meadworks in uh, Meadery in Portland, Maine. I'm just starting out with a bang here. Update on the pumpkin pie project, and hey, get your phone ready. Oscar joins us live tonight on Ask Oscar. All that and more tonight. I got mead live, so go get your glass of mead and your phone and join us. We'll be right back. And we are back live here tonight on a Tuesday night. A uh, couple of shout outs, uh, guys. I want to get out of the way here first. Uh, I want to say howdy to uh, Jimmy North out there in Minnesota. He's a good friend of mine. He's been listening in the last couple of shows, and uh, I've been trying to convince he and his dad to start uh, getting into making mead. So uh, the more I keep talking to him, uh, I'm sure that they'll, uh, they're bound to start. Also want to throw a shout out to Megan and Keith at moreflavor.com, which encompasses more beer, more wine, and more coffee. Uh, And I'll tell you, after a big fiasco with uh, trying to get a package delivered with USPS and FedEx, uh, Megan and Keith were both extremely helpful and uh, really helped me out. So uh, a big shout out to them. And, uh, you know, for all your mead making and wine making and beer making equipment and supplies, you got to check these guys out at moreflavor.com. Um... What are we drinking tonight? Uh, I've got some Hidden Legend Wild Choke Cherry Mead. It's sort of tart and sweet at the same time. And uh, I have to say, it's really a great mead. I loved it when I opened the bottle. But I also have to say, if you get this, don't let it sit in the fridge too long. I did, and it's got us. It's developed a slight off flavor from me letting it sit in the fridge. The mead itself is fantastic when you first open it, but this is one of those drink it when you know once you open it go ahead and drink it up because you you don't want to miss out cool and i got uh, my chateau chevette um raspberry ancient mead um that's one that i uh started in 2010 bottled a year later and uh, i'm really enjoying now and i think it's actually a little bit better for having oxidized in the bottle because i left a half bottle of it sitting around (laughs) (laughs) sometimes sometimes it helps i've had cherry meads go that route and it's like wow this is really good (laughs) i like cherry so you know when it oxidizes just a bit i kind of like that flavor yeah well it it also depends on the on the mead too but yeah I'm, i'm with you there i love cherries so a little bit of oxidation in the right in the right spots that can really make me happy. Yep. All right, and uh, I am drinking the last of the Pepino uh, from Melovino Meadery. Yeah, uh, this is the one that uh, Sergio Motello was uh, kind enough to send. I believe Vicky and I. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think AJ got any. Um, but because I'm in Canada, can't, he can't yeah. ship to Canada. You need yeah. to get a passport. Yeah. <laughs> And, and find, you know, the, get yourself a drop over in, uh, you know, like Detroit or something. <laughs> Actually, I've got friends who've got a mailbox at the UPS store and uh, on the, just across the border. So I could. There you go. In, in, yeah. a, in a place never to be named. <laughs> <laughs> Ogdensburg. This is, uh, Pepino is at uh, Cucumber. That's uh, real. I like that. 
Yeah, it's it, you know it's a good summer mead. Uh, one of those refreshing, you know, after a hot day in the yard or whatever. Uh, you know, sitting on the back porch under the uh, awning and enjoying a nice uh, ice cold glass of Pepino from Melovino Meadery, and uh, very refreshing. So. But uh, welcome to Got Mead. I finally got the right glasses on. Uh, Got Mead live here tonight. I'm here with uh, AJ and Vicky uh, in the house. And we got a full night for you tonight. Uh, the website up and running finally. Paint is Woo! still wet, but uh, it's looking pretty good. And, yeah, I still got extra decorating to do. There's a bit more stuff that needs to happen, but that's all right. You know, you always got to uh, take care of the trim, second coat. Uh. Exactly. Well, all y'all out there, if you've got <laughs> recipes that you'd like to immortalize on Got Mead, we have a recipe program. So um, I'll try to get it up on the menu mm. tonight or tomorrow morning, and you can input your recipes. It's a new program, so bear with me. We're still building out the, um, the interface, but it works really good. It's searchable. It's downloadable, so you can save cards and print it out. And uh, and it's you go in there and add to it, you know, if you're putting all of your uh, – if you're putting all of your your process in there, you know, as as you build the mead. So, well, this, isn't running a website kind of like owning a house anyway? It's always yeah. Under- there's broken. always something broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes there's five or six things broken, and then you get those phone calls where they say the house is on fire. You know, I mean, <laughs> that happens a fair amount. I've had it's been hacked a dozen times over the last. Or, or like, when you fix years. one thing and it breaks three others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always fun. All right. And of course, the Facebook, Got Mead. Uh, Twitter, at Got Mead Now. Ask Oscar. Uh, just check the link on the radio station link up there on gotmead.com. You'll find the form up there to uh, submit your questions. And of course, the call in number, 818 921 4680. Put us on your speed dial. You can also listen live on the gotme.com website. Just click that uh, live radio station link thing up there on the <laughs> gotme.com uh, webpage. You'll, you'll find it. Do uh, hickey. Do hickey. It's a technical <laughs> term. Hickey. Absolutely. Uh, and if you're mobile, you can listen to us at tunein.com. Just search Got Me Live and it will pop right on up. You can take us with you. Download the app for both iOS and Android devices from TuneIn.com. Replays are always available on GotMe.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, this place, that place, just everywhere. Search GotMe Live, and I'm sure something will come up. Resistance so, uh, is futile. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, we will are, assimilate you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are headed for a uh, fun night here tonight, so uh, sit tight. We'll be back right after these. North Carolina specializes in wine-style meads of varying sweetness level with a menu that usually includes 16 different flavors and featuring local North Carolina honey, there's always something new to try. 
Whether you like a dryer mead that mimics a red or white wine or something sweeter with fruit or herbs, Starlight Mead has got you covered. Come in for a tasting. Starlight Mead Artisan Winery and Tasting Room is located at 480 Hillsboro Street, Suite 1000, Pittsboro, North Carolina, at Chatham Mills. This historic label mill complex is located just north of downtown Pittsburgh on 15501, two miles south of Highway 64 Bypass, or order a bottle from vinoshipper.com. Either way, Starlight Mead hopes to surprise and delight you. Homebrewtalk.com, your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home. Their forum covers recipes, brewing equipment, and help from member brewers. If you picked up your equipment today, you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com. Sign up today for as little as $4 a month and become a supporting member. Known for the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey, Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at BeeNectar.com. That's BeeNectar with a K.com. And we are back live here on Got Mead Live here on a Tuesday night. Since 2008, Maine Mead Works has been on handcrafting delicious, dry-style, food-friendly meads using high-quality honey, local Maine ingredients, and a unique continuous fermentation process. Maine Mead Works is located in downtown Portland, Maine, and is open for tastings and tours year-round, seven days a week. For hours, distribution, and shipping information, please visit MainMeadWorks.com. That's MainMeadWorks.com. And Vicki, our guest tonight is none other than Ben Alexander from Maine Meadworks. Indeed. Hey, thanks, guys, for, for having me on the show. Uh, it's good to have you here, Ben. So what's been going on with you guys lately? It's been kind of quiet since you uh, didn't come to the Major Cup last year. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you knew well. I was going to get you. So, But yeah, yeah, what's, what's been going on with the meadery? Well, we're quiet, um, but uh, at the same time, we're we're really focusing on um, you know expanding our distribution and getting meat into people's hands, um, uh-huh. into people's mouths, more importantly. Um, and so, yeah, over the last um, you know three years or so, we focused on kind of expanding our distribution. We're uh, available in um, I want I had to count to make sure, but I believe it's twelve states. And Washington D.C. now, and uh, you know the big uh, you know challenge and uh, uh, work cut out for us is to is to is to really focus on 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 you know marketing and sales in those areas. Uh, But we've been having a great time up here in Portland, and um, uh, you know I'd love to actually you know host you sometime vicky the next time you come to portland to uh, give you a tour so. yeah i get up to uh, i've got people in um, family up in um beverly north of boston so not terribly far from you guys and occasionally i do make forays into maine so you know making my tree fix you know <laughs> i'll keep an eye out for you on facebook 
Yeah, I'll 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 let you know if I'm headed up that way because there's like three or, there's there's I basically have to take a couple of days. There's three or four people that if I don't visit them, I'll get in all sorts of trouble. So <laughs> moonlight's up that way too, and 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 the preventary, yeah, and you know, there's a bunch of people up in that you know Uber Northeast there that I have to go see. But uh, yeah, I would love to. I'd love to see the setup. So, um, you still working with Garth these days? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we are. Yeah, I mean, I, I speak to him. Um, we, uh, you know, he he really helped uh, or got main meatworks off the ground, so to speak, back in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Um, this was uh, kind of a, a brainchild of uh, you know several of us, including him and myself. Uh, in, in terms of taking, um, you know, the process that he developed in, in, in university and, and, and trying to, uh, you know, sort of duplicate what he's been doing down in South Africa over here in, in, in Portland. So that's how, um, that's how we got started. And, you know, he's, he continues to make mead down there and he's, he's, uh, he's doing it in a slightly different format. Um, but, uh, is a, from the sounds of it, uh, selling, uh, selling very successfully here in the U S. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's distributed here last I still last I checked, although it doesn't make it here to the hinterlands in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's taken on some, some different, um, uh, uh, formats, which are, I'm finding fairly common in our, uh, business. But I, I, it sounds to me, and I don't want to speak entirely for him, but that, that he's moving a little bit away from doing bottles. And um, he's, he's working with Be United, which is uh, the local uh, beer importer. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he's sending over uh, bulk mead, and they're, they're aging it at their facility. And it's uh, interesting. It's, a, it's still a really high, it's, it's an amazing problem. I'm actually drinking a dry mead now that he made because I saw on the previous. Uh, uh, participants in the show that it was seemed to be mandatory to be drinking a glass of mead while you were doing the show. Yes, so. yes, indeed it is. So we'll have to uh, note I, this on the page what Ben was drinking here. Uh, <laughs> let's get that, to the page. Kilika dry mead, um, but uh, um, yeah. So yeah, we are still working together, and we're we're still really happy with the. Uh, you know, the process that he originally um, developed down there in South Africa, and we've taken it and kind of tweaked it a little bit um, to make it work for us. And um, it's, uh, so far as I can tell, uh, you know, we're, we're producing a product that people like to buy, and I think that's the important thing. I think that's, you know, the, the, the primary goal. That's cool. Yeah, um, for those of you that are wondering what in the hell Ben and I are talking about, um, Garth Cambray has a PhD in, gotta love this, fermentation. Um, he did his PhD paper, which is linked on the page for this show, on um, this unique and up till that point, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong here, not been tried style of fermentation that led to kind of a breakthrough in getting needs to market in a much more expeditious fashion and still tasting really good. Uh, yeah, there's certainly advantages to it. I, I you know, um, I, uh, interestingly, you know, when I did, was doing my research on, on making meat, I didn't have a whole lot of background on traditional uh, fermentation. So I kind of came at it with uh, unbiased eyes. Um, but it, uh, it certainly appeared at the time to, 
um, be a, a, a viable way of fermenting honey. Um, and I, I know that beer producers uh, over the last 30 or 40 years have tried to um, get into the world of, of continuous fermentation, if you will. And I, I think they've been largely unsuccessful. And so it's really interesting that, um, you know, uh, Garth decided to take this um, method and, 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 you know, apply it to producing uh, fermenting honey and, 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 it, and it worked. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, to, to sort of back up, it's actually really kind of an ancient uh, uh, method. Uh, it, it, it's, he took an, uh, the Zosa people of South Africa hundreds and thousands of years ago didn't have the ability to culture their own yeast. So they would fill up a, a clay pot on the back porch and they'd cut up a root and they'd put it in a clay pot. Um, and the, the root had wild yeast on it. And so they would add um, honey and water to that and they'd leave it for a week or two and then they'd come back, uh, you know, two weeks later and um, they'd have meat and they'd pour the meat off and then they'd replace it with more honey and water. So it actually is uh, a process that's adapted um, an ancient kind of tradition or practice, if you will, um, using a little bit of modern science, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been real fun, uh, using that and, and, uh, it's been great. I kind of got the impression, um, and we need to get back to talking about May Mean Works here, but just the last little bit on, on, uh, Garth's thing that, the um all right how do you say it again i in my head i know what i say i say achillica yeah i i always get it wrong so i'm afraid to say it half the time um but um i get the impression that this was a little bit like tedge in that it's a tradition as opposed to you know any just a style name or anything like that that it's something that has been around for a while because, you know, Tej goes back untold numbers of years. So um, that was that was the impression I got when he was telling me about it the last time I spoke to him, which sadly was many years ago. We're going to try to remedy that here. Get him on the show, I hope. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, well, I may I may enlist you. I may enlist you to help prod him into coming out of the shadows. And- it's it's, it's <laughs> 3 a.m. over there. So I I'm, know that's what I'm. Yes, we'll I'm have happy, to. Happy to happy to happy to help uh, facilitate that. Um, yeah, but, well, uh, what we'll do is pre-record him, you know, at a time that's not in the middle of the night for him. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so you guys are using this at Maine Mead Works or a variation thereof. So what I mean, you were making mead before you had this, right? Um, I, uh, I we were making mead on a on a on a homebrew basis. OK, uh, so right, nothing right. commercial. So you came um, out of the gate with this then in place. We actually did. Yeah. It, it took us about a year to, 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 to get it to, to work for us. Actually, you know, we, we have, Garth was over here in Maine in 2007 and then it wasn't until uh, a year later in November of 2008 that we got our first product out the door. Um, and so it was a, you know, a bit of a scary time. Um, but again, I, you know, it, 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 looking back on it, uh, very pleased with uh, the, the, the the products that, that we're making now. Um. Okay, 
So how many meads are you running right now? Uh, we have, let's see, uh, four, uh, four year-round still meads and two sparkling session meads. So we have the Honeymaker brand, uh, which is our 12.5% alcohol, kind of what I call the wine-style mead. And then uh, we've kind of followed some other folks in the industry, uh, such as Brad at Bean Nectar, and mm-hmm. they're looking at uh, and they're producing some session meads that are down at like 7% alcohol sparkling uh, meads. And those are um, available uh, you know, year-round. Um, so right now it's about six, and then we do a lot of uh, seasonal stuff as well. <laughs> Okay, so you got you got the regular seasonal stuff that you're doing, but it sounds like you're you're sticking with a strong core and not you know branching out real far. That you know it's everything's just different for everybody. Some some of them like going with the shorter shorter run session meads, and that's fun too. You know, yeah, but we do we're doing both, and it's actually been a big challenge for us in defining what our brand is. But um, uh, you know, my goal when I set out here was I wanted to try and make something for everybody, <laughs> and. Um, and, 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 you know, we, so, so in that respect, we, we kind of cast a wide net. Okay. So I heard you say earlier, you said our wine style meads. So those are your gateway meads to get the wine drinkers to go for it. Well, that was the original product. Our first product was Honeymaker dry mead. It was 12 and a half percent alcohol. It was made with main wildflower, honey, water, yeast, and aged with a little medium toast, American oak. And that was it. And the idea was we wanted to show people that mead could be dry. It could drink like a dry white wine um, mm-hmm. and that it really uh, preserves and accentuates the qualities and the flavors and the honey that you use. Um, and so that was kind of our first foot forward. That was it. That was, you know, I call it my flagship. I can't necessarily say it's our most popular mead, but I, <laughs> I like to, I like to say that, uh, it's um, it, it kind of defines what we're all about. Well, and that, that makes sense. I mean, one of the things that I'm always telling the folks on the forum and anybody who asked me, because Pete, Pete beat this into me years ago, was uh, learn how to make a good traditional. If you got that, everything else is a lot easier, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. We've, yeah, we've, we've been able to, you know, pick up lots of, you know, we focus on local stuff for the honeymaker. And so we do uh, blueberry, lavender, apple, strawberry, elderberry, cranberry, um, all, all in season. And, um, those have been a lot of fun as well. I nailed a body, a, a bottle of the lavender a while back. That was very nice. I liked it. It did not stick around long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have sent that to you all if I had had, if I'd had a little more time before, um, scheduling the, uh, the call and that way we could have drank it together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm, I'm still playing catch up after vacation. So that one was my fault. I try to get it out there earlier to let people know. So they got time to do their commercial stuff, et cetera. But, um, so I, I imagine uh, I'll step back and let AJ and, uh, I imagine AJ and, um, JD got some questions for you. Yeah, actually, I uh, I studied continuous um, reactors in university during my engineering degree, and I was just wondering, um, with your methods, uh, what production rate do you work at, and did you have problems um, upsizing it from presumably Dr. Cambray's bench scale, and can it be run small scale? First of all, I'm going to say, uh-oh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot more about um, 
you know, biotechnology reactors than I do, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you for your question. But I, um, we, um, uh, right now we are running about a hundred gallons, 50 gallons a day through two different columns. Um, two, and those are 10 feet tall and about 10 inch inter, uh, internal diameter. They've been scaled twice. Once was a bench scale. And then our, our first class fermenters were about four inches internal diameter. And we had eight of those running at one point. Um, and so what we found is this, it is scalable. Uh, and it runs it uh, again, it's, uh, you know, volumetric productivity. You could probably do the math a lot quicker than I could tell you, but it, we're running about 50 gallons per day, uh, through each of our, um, tall stainless steel fermenters. Okay, cool. Is that helpful? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering like if, if you ran into any problems, like you said, it took you a while to get some of them out the door. I was just wondering if you were running into problems with scaling it up or was it other problems? Actually the problems in the very beginning were just kind of adapting it. And we had to, we learned a lot about sugar content and nutri uh, nutrient load. And um, I mean, uh, you know, the, we were running it and we, I, I think probably in, in retrospect was, not not the wisest choice was having two people without uh, masters or PhDs in, um, but you know in in, in you know bioreactors, but um, we we really kind of it, it was a process of of just kind of tweaking it and making it work um, in our environment with our raw materials and um, and the, the the interesting thing was we did the whole thing over you know over Skype um, and so there was. Uh, you know, getting the, 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 the first series of production reactors up and running took, you know, six to nine months in our first year. Um, but once um, we had, I mean, basically we used sort of a continuous yeast uh, in, in these columns. And so the idea is to get the, uh, the yeast um, in the columns in a, in, a, in a state where they are going to be able to kind of maintain their their efficiency and, and what and, and their fermentation um, efficiency and, and and that's what we were able to do and it just took a uh, a lot of trial and error from a couple of people who weren't didn't have a whole lot of background in that area. So your yeast then you don't need to add more and it's not really breeding to a high extent so there's not a lot of chance for it to be mutating into something that it didn't start out as. That, you know, it is certainly probably mutated from where it has started, but from what I can tell from our, the means that we've had is, is that it's almost um, gotten more, more viable for that environment. Um, I do think there's mutations um, over a period of four years, but no, we haven't, we have not repitched our yeast in, in these columns since, um, well, seven, seven years and then, you know, we, we've had one um, issue with contamination and then we had to uh, decommission that fermenter and, and, and get it back up and running. But, um, uh, you know, that being said, um, it has been that's, you know, the, the, the same yeast strain that we've been using all along. Um, and our means continue to um, have very similar character that they had when we started interesting oh, cool thank you very much talk about getting the most out of your yeast holy cow <laughs> no it a, seven years no kidding <laughs> yeah I, w I want one <laughs> <laughs> yeah well but, you know, sourdough, right? 
It's kind of like the sourdough bread is how I explain it to people. Yeah, but you know, in my in my head, your uh, fermenting room looks like Dexter's lab. <laughs> that was what it was, in, it was supposed to do. It's, just, it's, it's, a, little, it's a little, uh, uh, you know, it's been it's been worked over since then. But <laughs> yeah, but you need to you need to put like Jacob's ladders so they're the little going up the front. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe some neon lights here and there and some blinky things like they use on Star Trek make it look really high tech. <laughs> well, absolutely, I mean, yeah, we we used to wear lab coats and stuff. But <laughs> oh, fun! <laughs> but of course, you know. <laughs> And then it's that and then after a while it sort of kind of shifts and it becomes down to business and uh you know that, i think our biggest you know one of our biggest challenges has been marketing and sales and trying to get uh um get get people to understand what this category is all about and appreciate it so has your biggest challenge just been you know getting past that what is mead or what are you seeing as uh as, you know as your biggest thing to overcome right now Right now, I think, well, I think um, it, 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 it generally boils down to um, consumers knowing what meat is because we've been at this for seven years and we still get people through our tasting room every day, which is a, a good portion of our business, um, asking, uh, you know, saying that, A, they've never either, you know, they've had meat before, um, but it was somewhere in, in, in Ireland or they've had, you know, we, we, I feel like there's, there's still just a lot of education to, to happen. Um, and, and obviously we've done a really amazing job thus far, I think, you know, with the AMMA and what you guys have done with the Mazer cup and just the number, sheer number of meteries that have opened. Oh yeah. We're, we're start, we're starting to get there, but, um, you know, I would say that probably one of our biggest challenges has been, uh, you know, or continues to be how to how to get how to get the meat out on the shelves and then into people's hands and back at their houses so that they can drink it and share it with friends. What kind of reaction do you get from people who are drinking meat for the first time, Ben? Well, it's it's they're they're very they're surprised. I think they um, didn't know that it could be. Uh, uh, you know, sort of enjoyable. I think um, people automatically think, I think we're intrinsically wired to believe that it's going to be sweet because it's made with honey. So that's the first thing. Right. They, it does, whether they've had it or not or heard about it or tried it in Ireland or had, you know, somebody else's meat, it's it just your, your own head says, okay, this is, this is made from honey and therefore it's going to be sweet. Um, so we get a lot of, a lot of that. Um, and, uh, it, it, and, and we also get a lot of people who, who, you know, can't quite figure out where to put it because they've had beer and they've had wine. And I always say it's a cross between the two. Um, so it's trying to get people to, uh, recognize that there can be something that's in between beer and wine. And this is what it is. Yeah. We'll take your calls tonight. We're talking to Ben Alexander from Maine Mead Works here tonight. Uh, and in case you miss it the first time, here it is. The number, 818-921-4680. Give us a call if you've got a question for Ben. Uh, one other question I got, Ben. I, you know, I'm an old rancher farmer from Colorado from years back. And I really like the idea of sustainability sustainable agriculture what do you what do you guys i see you're working with local family farms back there in maine 
Well, can you describe that in a little more detail? What are you doing with the uh, local farmers? Well, in, uh, originally our brand was really built on 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 one hundred percent locally sourced. Um, we've kind of we've had we've outgrown that um, in terms of the honey that we use. Um, and so we've been, you know, supply getting honey from a from another company that's um, that really has enough honey to provide us uh, on a, on a regular basis. That's consistent because I think that's really important as well. Um, but we've kind of evolved into, you know, really um, working with local farmers. My original thing about starting Maine Mead Works was I saw. Um, Oh, you know, there were a handful of wineries in Maine that were, some were trying to grow grapes unsccessfully. Um, others were making fruit wines, but not marketing them as, as successfully and felt that, uh, there wasn't, um, you know, a market for apple wine, pear wine, peach wine, you know, the, the, the types of things that grow around here. So I thought that, um, mead was a really good fit for this region uh, or this state. And so we, we kind of set out to, to start making what we consider was agricultural wines that originated in the state of Maine. And, um, you know, and unfortunately since then, you know, we, we've, we've had to source honey from other places and, and, uh, um, but, but, you know, that, that was our big goal from the outset. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the, the whole source all your honey locally is great. If you have, as you say, if you have enough local honey, but that's not always the case. So it depends on really where you are and what's being produced. And Mike Fall from Rabbit's Foot was saying on the AMMA Facebook group a few months back that we're actually probably in the next few years going to get to the point where the meaderies are using up all the available honey. Then where do we get it? I don't know. Well, maybe Ontario's got a point in not letting you open a meadery unless you're opening and operating at least 100 hives. Yeah, well, and I think that's a great idea, but yeah, that does, does make it hard for the small person, though. No, there's quite a few little meteries that are opened up in Canada. I'm one. That's the next series is going to be Canadian mead. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so get out your pencil. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. The bigger you get, the harder it gets to be able to pull locally, unless you're just in a really concentrated area. Yeah, exactly. And I think that what 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 I think may happen here is is that. Um, the price point um, is just going to get um, th- there's going to be sort of um, the entry level mead, which is the honey that you can get at bulk prices all the time. And then there's going to be, um, you know, honey that uh, mead makers are going to be able to source um, and probably directly, but from various sources. Um, and, and, and hopefully we're going to be able to buy honey from, from, from these people and, and, and start making um, higher end uh, meads. And, you know, unfortunately, I think for, for rolling out, you know, for creating a category that can create challenges because of the, of the, of the price you ultimately have to pay for the bottle. But I think it's a good evolution for the category because uh, you have, you have different, you have different um, uh, sort of strata of, of styles of mead and, and, and the people who have been drinking mead for seven, 10, 12, 15, 20 years, um, are going to demand something that's a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more exotic and a little bit, you know, more, uh, a little different. And I, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that that's what, uh, the direction that this goes. 
Well, I, I think we're seeing some of that. Um, Ken Tram with his uh, limited run, uh, you know, limited bottles, meads like um, the Heart of Darkness and, um, oh, God, what's the one? There's another one that he's got, and I'm to- totally drawing a blank on the name. But anyway, they're made specifically with his fruits and berries and, and whatnot that are coming out of his property. So they're very limited run because he doesn't have that much land. Um, so they're, they're the, uh, atmosphere, you know, they're, they're the, they're the top of the atmosphere for me. They're limited run, extremely high quality, handcrafted, um, you know, because there's very small batch meads and, you know, I mean, I paid a hundred dollars for a bottle of heart of darkness yeah. and I didn't have any problem at all doing it. It was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Can I get two? You know, I mean, <laughs> there was only one, but you know, I got that one and it's in, you know, it's, it's, it's in my, in my cellar waiting, awaiting the right time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's like, I don't know if it'll ever be the right time. Can, can <laughs> so I turn the, can I turn the tables here real quick and just ask AJ, is, am I correct? You are, you're in Ontario now. Yes. So, do you see any uh, similarities between mead and uh, the ice, um, the ice wine uh, market at all? Uh, I don't really have too much of an idea what the market's like because I'm small time and I'm not allowed to sell anything, so I haven't really looked at it very much myself. A couple of the larger ones have have created some small batch handcrafted stuff that's going for higher prices. Yeah, like there was a there's a cidery in um, I think near Montreal that a friend got me a bottle of their uh, their ice wine made with um, I guess they froze and pressed the apples, and that that was really good stuff. But uh, yeah. again, because it was given to me, I have no idea how much it costs and no idea how much it costs compared to what their regular stuff is. Um, yeah. Well, I know it's coming. Yeah, the stuff, some of the stuff I've seen with our just. Dis- even our local distributor here that I, that I distribute through is there 375 mil bottles are, are, are selling and obviously not at, at, a, at a huge rate, but you know, in the 30 to $40 price range, mm-hmm. uh, I just, I, I see, I see a tremendous opportunity for me in that area. Uh, granted, we're not even doing it yet, <laughs> but, um, I, I, uh, I, I do see, see some similarities in that. We're seeing yeah, I, a I could bigger, see that. There's, there's a Go fruit ahead. winery that I've gone to a couple of times that um, they that's about the price range that their regular bottles are. And then a winery in, around the corner for their ice style wine was about twice the price. So, yeah, for uh, about the same price for, uh, for a 350 mil or 375 mil. So, yeah, that, that does sound about right. Yeah, there's some of that. Well, uh, Moonlight up your way, Ben, has got that's some... A- High end, yeah. short run, three seventy fives that are going for thirty, forty bucks. Yeah, Michael's done really well. I mean, he's uh, yeah, uh, he has. I, that's off to him, and you know, uh, I have a lot of respect for Michael, and I'm glad to know that he's right in my backyard. It's uh, it's uh, you know, he, he's 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 been around me for a long time, and I um, I see the, the the success that he's had, and uh, you know, uh, take take a lot of take a lot of points from him for sure. Well, and he's really, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's like many of you guys, he's, he's out there educating and he's not afraid to, you know, he's secure in the knowing that he's got a good thing and knows how to run his business. So he's not afraid to help the up and comers because, you know, a rising tide floats all boats. So he's kind of in that space 
And yeah, I mean, I've seen you guys do it and, and B Nectar does it and Ken Schramm does it. And, you know, I mean, there are many meteries around the country and in Canada that go out of their way to help the noobs because we're all in this together. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So I know JD's a, uh, aching to answer the question that he's got his cursor on right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> the mead cocktails. <laughs> I, I'm watching you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, while I was cruising through earlier doing my homework here, uh, you know, before the show and I came across one that had tequila in it. And I thought, okay, tequila. I mean, we are, my wife and I are, are pretty much tequila connoisseurs here. Uh, how, how did you come up with these uh, cocktails, Ben? I, I'm really so, eager to try some at home. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I'm not – we've been collecting cocktails for seven years, and I'm assuming you're talking about, uh, you know, a couple that were described on our website where we worked with a local, uh, uh, you know, award-winning mixologist to come up with some, some stuff. Um, and it's uh, – we, we've found the mead cocktail thing to be it's it's there's a lot of different ways to kind of to to go at it because some are more complicated than others and 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 we've we've kind of come around and decided to 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 either make our own which we've done with the lavender lemonade here mm-hmm. uh which is our seven percent alcohol mead um or or kind of promote um the uh the the industry um of mixology in itself and the art around that into becoming creative so we come up with cocktails that would show people what other ingredients go well with me um and there's a there's a ton of them um so that's been kind of our approach if i've answered your question correctly to, <laughs> well yeah i mean uh, uh, some of it, these look just absolutely amazing uh, yeah yeah and that and on our, on our website we've got uh yeah a handful of of cocktails uh that you would need a um you know your own sort of two thousand dollar wet bar yeah. to, uh to come hmm. up but the idea was is really to to inspire um, and, um, and show the versatility of the, of the, of the category. And that was, that was the goal. And these, uh, some of these, uh, you know, we can go ahead and throw a shout out to Roxanne Dragon. Uh, she's a bar manager, apparently at Hugo's restaurant in yep. Portland, Maine. This is where uh, some of these recipes have come from, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We worked with Roxanne to come up with those and it was, awesome. it was a really, it was a really fun project and Hugo's at the time. And this was, Oh, probably four, three or four years ago, he was at the time had just won their first James Beard um, award. Uh, nice for, for Rob Evans as executive chef, and we were we were holy elated, crap, and we were elated oh. to have to you know to 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 work with with um, you know an establishment of this caliber and and getting uh, you know get, kind of passing the story of meat along in some fashion, whatever that fashion may be. And needless to say, a cool story about that, that same restaurant was Rob used our, uh, Rob Evans, the, the chef, I believe he, he used our blueberry meat in a, in a reduction for a, for a recipe. Um, so, you know, at the time we, you know, we are at, not at the time, it's still, we, we're, we're always out there trying to communicate with people that this is a category that hasn't been defined yet. And it's really defined by, you know, the people who um, drink it, produce it, 
um, talk about it, write about it. Um, and it's, uh, it's a pretty cool, versatile beverage. And I, you know, I feel like the, the limits, um, you know, are, we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Wow. Incredible. Yeah, it's it's really it's really cool doing that. I love seeing it. And tell Roxanne next time you talk to her more amaretto, less tequila. Blech. I will. <laughs> never had IOD tequila in college. Haven't had it since. Just nope, never, not again, ever. Yeah, <laughs> whole glass of nope. Oh yeah, oh, several glasses of nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did that with vodka. I think. Hey, yep, there's a reason why they call it tequila. <laughs> So, um, do we got any callers, JD? Uh, nobody's calling yet, but uh, hey, uh, I know you're out there listening. So, uh, pick up the phone, give us a call. You got oh, the Chris. number. Oh, Chris! Yeah, <laughs> Chris and David. Uh, I know Chris uh, yeah. in Mississippi. David in uh, Texas down there. Uh, I know you're listening. Um, you know, meat and food is another big thing, and uh, you know, you're talking about this uh, deal with Hugo's restaurant. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of information out there about mead and food, pairing mead with food like there is about wine. Um, there's how, actually a book coming out about that, but yeah. Oh, cool. We'll be interviewing her later. <laughs> how do, how do you see that uh, going forward, Ben? Mead and food? Yeah. Uh, well, I I think I see it as it's, it's sort of got to – I mean, it exists. Uh, there's plenty of meat out there that's food-friendly. I mean – I, you know, I don't want to discount what the brewers have done, but they've, they've jumped on the um, bandwagon of, of using, you know, it's an excuse to drink the product. It's, you know, you can pair beer with food. You can obviously wine was always technically meant to be paired with food. I think because the acidity in the wine and the, the, the food really balance each other out really well. And, um, and, and beer brewers, uh, you know, craft beer brewers now are, are pairing beers with food. And obviously I think it, it makes sense because there's, you know, meat I consider like a, a wine without the acidity, uh, in a lot of senses. So kind of like, like I said before, a cross between a beer and a wine where, you know, there's plenty of food out there that you can pair meat with that you don't need a really, really acidic wine for. I mean, we do a lot with seafood up here in Portland. Um, and, uh, you know, there's spicy food, um, there's cheeses, there's, um, you know, with, with the, with the kind of local, uh, foodie, uh, uh, industry that's taken off here, we've been able to really kind of complement that by inserting meat as, as an option in in whatever people are consuming. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So I think I think it's I think it's perfect. You know, that's what we want. And even sweet meat. I mean, any, I think any type of meat um, has something that could be paired with it. It's just a matter of how to how to present that to people and how to how to get them educated and get them comfortable with doing something that maybe they hadn't been told to do before. <laughs> I think we have to uh, arrange a uh, uh, email meetup between your friend, the chef, and Chrissy at Kukulon because she's actually writing a book on food and meat pairing. Oh, I know. I've talked to Chrissy about that. I can't wait to read it. I know. Me too. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy copies for all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's there's going to be a lot of that going on around here. I'm I'm hoping to uh, buy several boxes of it and put it up on Got Mead so we can move some more for. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Well, put me down for one. Anything that can educate my palate's a good idea. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> Well, so I, hope, I hope you get Chrissy on the show soon because she is a passionate, um, oh God, yeah, educated uh, mead maker, and is just uh, she's uh, uh, just a delight to to talk to and to so. Yeah, she well, she really is. I wanted to let her get past uh, turkey and chicken uh, processing season because oh. yeah. <laughs> they do it. They do a lot of that and they stay really busy. I got to tour her facility when I was, uh, I drove down when I was staying at my daughter's in, um, Tacoma. And so I drove down to her place outside, just like 30 minutes outside Portland. But, um, yeah, I'm going to get her on probably right at the beginning of December and, uh, get her in here. And hopefully if the book's ready, then we can, uh, pitch her book for her. That'd be great. One of the things that I, uh, I I do all the cooking in my house too, and I love to cook. In fact, in my next life, uh, it, you know, I'll probably come back as a chef. But uh, cooking with me is something <laughs> or, that I have, or as a or as a roast. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I haven't uh, I, I haven't experimented with cooking with mead yet, uh, and that's something that I'm eager to try. Um, I can give you a couple. Uh, suggestions if that if, if you'd like sure one is um a brine like a, a dry mead um as a brine like a chick like with chicken uh you sure, put a sure. whole chicken in a um it's it's an expensive brine i can say <laughs> yeah, <once> you, <laughs> yeah. it yourself i will say but that the honey is really nice when you go to cook the chicken it's nice it caramelizes on the outside uh and and, and really um, the nice thing, if, if you're dealing with 12% alcohol meads, is there's um, there's just a lot of flavor that can leach uh, from the mead into the meat um, in that situation. Again, I'm not. A, I'll be honest. I am no five star chef, uh, I, but I do like to experiment, and uh, I've had some success with that. And I've also, um, again, uh, heard and, and done some reductions with mead, um, and. Uh, and had some really, I mean, unique and interesting uh, uh, flavors come out of uh, those those experiments. Well, I'll. Uh, so good luck to you, and please, I want to hear about it. And I, yeah, guys, I want to hear about cocktails that you like, and I want to hear about um, dishes that you've made with me because I'll I will uh, incorporate them into our. Uh, our, our kind of long list of mead uses, which we've been working pears, on. <laughs> pears poached in cherry mead is there you awesome. Go. There you go. Yeah. That's awesome. I use it when I'm making uh, gravy for, um, you know, for chicken or for a beef dish that needs gravy. When I pour the juice in, I also add mead and then you know, put that in and thicken it, you know, after I put the meat in and I put the flour and water in and thicken it. And it always adds a really amazing flavor to the, to the gravy. Awesome. I've got a lot of people going, Oh my God, what'd you put in this? I'm going alcohol. <laughs> 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 There's meat in there. <laughs> They're like, okay, really? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm eager to try the Mia Carino on, uh, you know, with the tequila that's featured on your website here, but, uh, I'm just gonna have to burn some honey and figure out where to get some clove syrup. So, but, uh, 
uh, Middle Eastern restaurants or Middle, Middle Eastern groceries closer. There you go. Okay. Yeah. They have all that good stuff. That's where I get my rose water from my Rota Mills. Mm. But uh, it looks interesting. I mean, all these cocktails uh, featured on your website. And for all of our listeners out there at MainMeadWorks.com, you got to check it out and uh, go visit uh, and uh, take a look at what he's got going on over there. And uh, we do have a caller on the line, 8824. What's your name? Where are you from? And uh, welcome. Good evening. Yeah, this is Matt from Minneapolis. How are you tonight? Hi, Matt. Hi. Hi, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hi, Matt. Hey. <laughs> it, Go ahead. It, it, uh, ben? Yes, sir. Yes, uh, I just wanted to, uh, I guess, call in. I was with my wife on our 10th anniversary at the end of uh, July, and we toured your facility, and uh, it, actually during Mead Day, and uh, you had quite the crowd there. Just a wonderful tasting room, and you had the... Let's see the honey exchange. I, do, uh, I guess doing a demo. I have a, I have a sticky here that I'm looking at, and uh, it's it just a wonderful time. And you had a great, uh, great tour of the facility. You you were talking about it earlier with uh, the way that you ferment the honey at your facility. Mm-hmm. And and I was wondering how long does it actually take to ferment through your columns until you actually. Uh, uh, dump that uh, mead into tanks, etc. Uh, uh, during the tour, it was just a real fascinating. I, I probably had about a half dozen dozen tours of uh, meaderies, and you know, it was really fascinating the way that you fermented your your honey. And I just, I guess, I was wondering if you give me a little bit more detail around that process. Yeah, well, sure, absolutely, uh, Matt. Thanks so much for your kind words um, about the tasting room. And I think it was August first you were here. Does that sound right? Yeah, that was yeah, national yeah, meeting. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and so we, um, we, the 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 honey, and we mix up the honey and water, and we pump the mead through at a you know at varying rates. But usually at, at, at this sort of fifty gallons a day per fermenter. Um, we get between eight to ten percent alcohol in the first twenty four hours, which is really it's it's pretty fast. And and what we do is we collect all, all the mead that comes out of the top of the fermenter gets collected into another container. And I, for those technical people out there who understand you know understand primary and secondary, I'd like to think that we have two stages of primary fermentation. So we have primary, primary, which happens in the column. And then whatever mead is coming out of the column is being collected into another tank. And there's a small amount of yeast in there. um, And there's enough yeast to finish the fermentation to to, uh, a completely dry product, which is the way a lot of our meads kind of start out. So... um, and, and then that takes an additional, um, depending uh, anywhere from five to ten days. And it, I think it really depends on on um, a number of factors. But uh, generally speaking, our fermentations is complete, in, you know, within within ten days um, from start of fermentation. Just, just unbelievable. And I apologize. I, I think I called in a little late. Maybe you'd already yep. described that, but. Um, really, impre- really impressive in, in terms of the way that you uh, 
ferment out the honey and um it just I, I i think you know you go through a tour and and frankly i think i went through the tasting first before i went through the tour so i didn't i didn't really uh, remember as much but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a great time and uh yeah matt, thanks so much well thank you matt i really appreciate the kind words thanks for the call matt thanks for calling matt thank you Interesting. Before tasting, that's not my notes. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just yes. started getting into this mead making business, Ben, and I've learned quite a bit uh, since being here with AJ and Vicky. And uh, uh, if you stick around for the next segment, Ask Oscar uh, will be coming up. And I've learned so much that I went out and bought some new equipment. One of them, one of the pieces being a stainless steel fermenter. So, uh, AJ and Vicky, I guess my next investment is one of these stainless steel columns. What do you think? Ah, you know, I hate you, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and your wife is going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that, that needs to be fed up. every day, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, right, just just well, remember, J.D., your wife could turn you into a pretzel anytime uh, she wants to. She has handcuffs. How mm-hmm. tall are these columns, Ben? Um, well, the, the ones that we're running right now are about 10 feet tall. Well, that might be... So, yeah, you need some headspace for it. uh, Been needing to do that garage renovation for a while now. Needless needless to say, we've had several. We've had others that are small glass columns that certainly resemble a laboratory or some, you know, somebody's, uh, uh, I will say we started in a a garage. So, um, you know, uh, I, uh, you know. Certainly, uh, if, if, if you're interested in, in learning more about this, please contact me. Absolutely. So the city never came around and asked you what those columns were sticking out of the roof of your garage were? Ah. <laughs> the radio antennas, officer. I swear to God. We yeah. have, uh, we've got Chris from Mississippi on the line with us. Of course good we evening, do. Doctor. Hi, Chris. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Pretty good. Hey, Very Chris. good, Chris. Oh, I wanted to ask him, um, Ben, uh, you talked about session meads is something that's fairly new to me and, and people are really getting into that. Uh, talk a little bit about the uh, the different flavors and things that you're doing on the session meads. Um, yeah, sure. No problem. So I, I call a session mead something that's 7% alcohol. And I think if you talk to most brewers in the world, they'd be you know completely shocked at that um, because – um, that's not at all a session beer. A session beer, I think, tends to be under 5%, somewhere in the 3 to 5% range. Um, but, uh, you know, my our session meads and what we've called them um, are, you know, lower than the 12.5%. We bring um, – we do it a little bit differently where we blend in a dry mead. Um, and the first product that we uh, launched in this – I call it the Ram Island – brand and it's a, it's different and it, it, it comes in a brown beer bottle and it's available on draft and in kegs around, you know, Portland, Massachusetts, Vermont, the other places that we distribute. Um, and, and what we're doing is we're blending the meat in with, it's kind of like a cocktail, as I mentioned before, where we make our own iced tea in house. Um, uh, and so we make tea, we add lemons, mint, um, and then we blend that in with the fermented mead. And that's how we're able to um, get the, the session mead. I, I'm very familiar with a bunch of other meaderies out there that are doing mead, session meads that um, are just honey. Uh, 
they're five percent alcohol. They're fermented to dryness. I think you, they they just they alter the amount of um, residual sugar that they start out with, um, and they're able to to finish fermentation around five percent, and then they're they're car, you know carbonating it or sparkling it slightly or however whatever their process is, and then putting it into a bottle um, that way. But the way we do it is we have a dry mead that we blend in with tea and uh, make our own kind of cocktail in house. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. What, what kind of flavors are you are you doing? Uh, right now we have um, an iced tea and a, and a lavender lemonade. And we've been running, we've had those for a couple of years. Um, they're year round um, here in Maine, which is surprising uh, considering that flavor profile. But we've just recently done a, a chai mead where we're using chai tea. Really? Um, that's, that's our fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's our kind of our fall seasonal, fall, winter seasonal. And then we'll do a, uh, that'll be available through December. And then ginger mead um, is, comes out in January, is available through April. Um, so this is kind of, a, it's a new thing that we're experimenting with. And it's, it's kind of neat because we can get the mead, we sell kegs of it. And so we're able to get um, that many more glasses of mead in people's hands. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been a fun, fun project. Oh, well, cool. save some of that chai mead for me because I'm a total chai nut. <laughs> Absolutely. And, we, and I always tell, uh, whenever I call in and one of the commercial meaderies that are on, I always tell them, get your stuff in Mississippi because we have none. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. There's a meadery there. I posted it on the Got Mead Facebook page yesterday and said, Chris from Mississippi, look. Y'all need yes, meadery, so you need to go, go no, to they the don't page. Sell, <laughs> they don't sell in the state. Do you, do you have a lot of good honey down there, I'm assuming, Chris? Uh, around the area, not not right here. No, uh, I've I've spoken about this before that all of our local honey is is we have a lot of bitterweed, milkweed, things that that cause things to be very bitter and sour. So local honey in this immediate area is not the best for mead. It's good table honey. Um, so, but but the South does have some good meat honeys. Yep. Tupelo. Tupelo, and, and of course, my favorite is sourwood from up in the mountains. Yeah, that's good uh, too. <clears throat> but I've got a uh, I've got a recipe to share uh, for a session meat. Uh, I know a lot of people are getting into that, and they want something with a fast turnaround, so. I've got one that uh, I'll share with everybody on the board if they'd like to see it. So I'll be posting that up pretty soon. That would be yes, Chris. Love to try. Awesome, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Always a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Chris. Uh, we've got to Ask Oscar coming up here uh, next. So uh, I expect to hear from you again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll be around. I'm always around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Chris. Yeah, thanks ben, for the call, Thanks for coming, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, Ben. I don't. I don't know if you've listened to previous shows, but Chris is practically a guest host. He's on almost every show. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's our groupie. We've had some, we've got, we, he's, yeah, we write questions. Yes. 
<laughs> I'm really interested to see his recipe. And, I, and actually, and I, I will say that I'm the first, I will, he says that the, the honeys he has aren't good for mead making. And I, uh, just on principle, um, would tend to disagree with that in some sort, uh, form, but <laughs> I'd love to, I'd love to try milkweed honey and, um, uh, a lot of things that we can't get up here because I, 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 I think that that's kind of the, the, the coolest thing about mead. And, um, you know, perhaps there's sour flavors that are produced during it, but, um, sour beers are all the rage right now. So I don't see why that would necessarily be a bad thing. And it would just be a represent, it would be a good representation of the geography that he lives in. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different honeys out there. So, um, we're gonna, we're gonna move into the next segment here. JD's been saying we got to wrap for like 15 minutes. Um, so but you're welcome to, you're welcome to stick around. You know, we're going to talk about, uh, and, and I can hear the groaning now, pumpkin spice mead. So all the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth is going on out in the interwebs of people. No, 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 no. I say, I say chai is the new pumpkin spice. Thank you. Chive is the new. Chai, not chive. Oh, chive. Chive is okay. onion like. Chai, the tea, chai yeah. It's the new pumpkin. That's right. Okay. I'm right there with you, Ben, and you got to save me some of that because I totally want to try that. I love that. I've got to somehow get my hands on a on a case of the uh, lavender lemonade ones. I did. Mm. I actually was, I drank one of those when the mead maker guys um, interviewed me when I was still at my daughter's out on the West coast. And you know where I got it? I picked it up at Christie's place. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> She's awesome. So I went all the way across the country to get your meat. <laughs> well, well, we can, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, maybe I can be a guest for there sometime. And if I get all your addresses, for one of your upcoming shows, I'd be happy to provide the, uh, the mead that you guys drink while you're on the show. Um, and, uh, let me know what you think. If okay. you can get it up here, I would be more than happy. Yeah. She's been a tough one since she's in Canada. Eh? No, that's why I say we got to yeah. do a series of Canadian meteries. Cause then they won't be able to send it into me and JD. She'll get it though. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, Ben, uh, it's been very enlightening. Uh, really love the chat, and thanks for being here with us. No, I, I really yeah. appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys, and hopefully I wasn't too long-winded. Um, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to hopefully meeting um, you, uh, AJ, and JD in person uh, sooner than later. And um, Vicki, as always, it's uh, nice, to, nice to hear you. And yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll keep on pressing on for the uh for me yeah totally and you know mazer cup march 2016 <laughs> i'm on just saying <laughs> <laughs> right. not not that i have any vested interest or anything you know but well, <laughs> i'm dying to get out there it's, it's yeah just, oh and i'm telling you i mean we've got that i missed the old location but the new location is bigger more posh and just as much fun yeah, and we yeah. actually got more party zones. There's and the the pool's outside, but that's okay because there's like a fire pit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys ever think All about right. the Mazer Cup? Well, anyway, I'll I'll, I'll say oh, that. Oh, moving it easy, moving it easy. <laughs> yes, we get that a lot. You, I'll bring the Mazer Cup team on, and you can ask them that question. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll call in during the next se- the, the next session and ask you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank All right. you. 
I'm, I'm going to sign off now. And uh, it's, it's been nice chatting with you all. And, uh, and have, have a good evening. Thank you, Ben. You too, Ben. Thank you Thanks. Bye-bye. Ben Alexander from uh, Maine Meadworks. Meadworks. Uh, Try to say that fast three times after a whole bunch. Well, of that's what messed me up at the beginning. I'm trying to do Maine <laughs> Meadworks Meadery. Blah, 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 blah. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of one of those. Peter Piper picked one of those pepper things or something or other. But, Peter uh, <laughs> Piper picked a peck of pickled pepper meat. <laughs> something like that hey ask oscar's coming up but first we'll go over the uh, pumpkin project just briefly so stick around we'll be right back starlight mead located in the heart of north carolina specializes in wine style meads of varying sweetness level with a menu that usually includes 16 different flavors local North Carolina honey, there's always something new to try. Whether you like a drier mead that mimics a red or white wine, or something sweeter with fruit or herbs, Starlight Mead has got you covered. Come in for a tasting. Starlight Mead Artisan Winery and Tasting Room is located at 480 Hillsboro Street, Suite 1000, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, at Chatham Mills. This historic label mill complex is located just north of downtown Pittsburgh on 15501, two miles south of Highway 64 Bypass, or order a bottle from vinoshipper.com. Either way, Starlight Mead hopes to surprise and delight you. If you're a mead maker, you need gotmead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing varieties, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Oh my gosh. Some of the conversations that happen in the background here on God Meet Live, if you could only hear. But we are back live. And uh, we um, have the uh, pleasure of having Oscar uh, with us in person live tonight, which is a, uh, a rarity. Welcome, Oscar. Uh, we're very glad that you could join us here tonight. Oh, happy to be here. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, we, uh, last week we started, uh, you know, we talked about this pumpkin pie project and of course you've been in the loop every step of the way. And, uh, I told everybody on the show that, uh, you know, I would give weekly updates, uh, really didn't intend on spending a whole lot of time on it since I spent a, a lot of time on it last week when we developed this whole thing. 
But basically, what's happening now, um, everything has been pitched, thrown in, mixed, and everything. We are under fermentation, and Oscar, you were correct about the uh, takes off like a rocket thing. It's one of those things where you light the fuse, and you just, it waits, and waits, and waits, and then suddenly, uh, it's like blast off. Uh, and that's what it did at about one o'clock in the afternoon um, on Sunday. And when I noticed the must uh, going up into the airlock, I had to quickly <laughs> run over and, of course, exchange that for the blow off tube. And it, the blow off tube is still attached, mind you. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it, well, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I prevented the volcano from happening, and I believe I, I caught it just in time. Um, but again, basically everything uh, obviously has been mixed. Uh, we started out at 1.136 right on target. Uh, the roasting, um, I was rather, uh, I was kind of curious about that because I had 26 pounds of pumpkin uh, and, the, of course, the four pounds, I had basically 30 pounds of product. Well, that all reduced down to about 13 pounds of product. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, I, I suppose. Uh, you know, having never really gone through that kind of a process before, I kind of expected more. But then, uh, you know, there were a, a lot of skin, a lot of waste, and, of course, the seeds and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, that went with it. But um, we pitched the uh, D21 yeast, uh, 16 grams of it, uh, was pitched at midnight on Saturday, and I purposely waited that late because uh, I knew that it would probably take some time for it to start, and by 9 a.m. it did uh, on Sunday morning. And, of course, like I said, by, by 1 o'clock, of course, it was coming up through the airlock, so it waited that long before it really started. And, of course, you know, at the end of lag there at 9 o'clock, uh, the 5 grams of nutrient went in with a good stir, aeration. Uh, and I reduced, we started off at 65 degrees. Now, I noticed, uh, Oscar, that this, the D21 is good from 53 degrees Fahrenheit up to about 77 and uh, I thought I was going to be safe at 65, so that's where we started. But then uh, consulting with you about the activeness of the yeast and everything, I decided to go ahead and take it down to 60 degrees. It's been at 60 now since Sunday afternoon, late Sunday afternoon, and it's still fermenting like crazy. So uh, the daily routine includes uh, the stirs, the aeration. pH got a little out of hand. Uh, it went up to 4.9. I was, I, I kind of freaked out, uh, after adding 308 grams of tartaric and malic acid, uh, I was able to get it down to about 3.8. Uh, but it really freaked me out about the amount of acid I was adding. Is that too much? Or, I mean, what's your take on that? Well, I guess we're going to see, I mean, bringing it back into balance is, is fine. Um, a lot of times you have to kind of adjudicate based on the type of uh, recipe that you're making. But this one, I've, I'm, I've never really had to go that far with uh, the acid. I've never, I don't, you know, I, I was looking at my notes uh, a while ago um, last week when we were communicating back and forth. And, you know, I don't remember seeing any notes about, you know, huge acid adjustments. I've, I made at the end, you know, right at the very end after I racked into secondary, I went ahead and adjusted it, if I remember right, with about 40, 
40 or 42 grams, I can't remember off the top of my head, of uh, tartaric. And that was it. I don't see any other notes in there as far as adjustments go on, on any of the other ones except for uh, a couple where I was making additions at the end with different kinds of things like maple syrup or birch syrup or that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Do you have any idea what would have made it go all the way up to 4.9 or what, why, why it would have increased like that? Or maybe that's well, what started guess, Yeah, my guess would be the pumpkin material. You've got a lot of cellulose, hemicellulose, that kind of stuff in there. And uh, that kind of stuff can get in there and kind of uh, uh, absorb a lot of different things, everything from tannin and, and acid to you know, different kinds of flavors that might be out there. So uh, at the same time, while well, it's contributing. So that was uh, one of the reasons I, I mentioned earlier on that uh, having some kind of a, an enzyme in there would be good too. Yeah. Yeah. It Hope did sit. Broken. Yeah. The pumpkin product did sit, uh, you know, for 24 hours, actually a little better than 24 hours on the enzyme on that uh, Lally, Something wow, that was I'm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and then, of course, after that, we, we went through the whole mixing and the yeast pitching and all of that. So um, I'm looking uh, now. The curious thing about this whole thing, I've this, the fermenter is a seven gallon and it's right up to the top, including the bag. And I was very surprised. 13 pounds of pumpkin product displaces almost a gallon and a half of liquid. So those of you out there, uh, you know, with a six-gallon bucket, be aware, uh, you know, if you roast that much pumpkin into 13 pounds, it displaces a lot. So oh, that's, I, the, that's the classic conservation of mass right there. Uh, remember, uh, a gallon of water is 12 pounds. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. that makes that makes sense then, because uh, it was almost a gallon and a half, and we pulled that much out, saved it. It's refrigerated, uh, so you know if we need to use it for some kind of backup or you know back feeding or whatever we need to do. Now, make, make a cordial of it. Say that again. Make a cordial out of it if you don't use make, it to back feed or mm-hmm. something. You can make a you can make a bitchin' cordial out of that, and it'll take like a month so you can be drinking that while you're waiting for your mead to be ready you know <laughs> yeah well i, I you know, well when i when i pull the bag out now uh, this is a question might as well start off the ask oscar session because um and this is a question that i've i've looked around and there are wildly varying answers to this when do you pull the bag when do you pull the fruit out uh of your mead Depends on what you're after. If you've got a, a good light taste that you like and you, you don't want to, you know, take any chances on losing that, yank it. Um, if you've got a light taste but you want a heavier taste, leave it in for a while. Um, after it's been in, you know, if you've been in your fermentation and you're, you're macerating on the, the pulp of that pumpkin that was either baked or as fresh or whatever you used, um, you're going to keep an eye on, you're going to want to keep a sharp eye on it after about, you know, t- 10, 12 days because uh, fruit, vegetable material, any other kind of plant material that's being broken down um, at some point is going to start turning south on you. So you're going to want to get to it before it makes that turn and leaves you some, uh, you know, some flavors that aren't desirable. So, you know, taste it daily. If it starts getting a little bit funkadelic, uh, it's time to yank the bag. 
Yeah. And at that age, uh, you know, if it's been macerating for say 15 days or 16 days, um, I wouldn't press too hard on that bag to try and get everything out of it. I'd just go ahead and, you know, give it a couple of little, uh, settling, uh, tugs to, uh, to get it all kind of settled, get it out of there and then move on. Then go ahead and press it into a separate vessel. And if it tastes okay, you can add it back in. But, uh, if you press it and there's a lot of, you know, like, old vegetal kind of characters and some astringency from, you know, some pumpkin that's been sitting in there for a while and, and other things that just aren't desirable. Then you can always toss it or, you know, put it in a bottle and give it to someone you don't like. <laughs> and and, and he's not kidding. Name. He's not kidding there, JD. I, I used to, I would pull my fruit bag out and then squeeze every bitty bit of juice out of there because you didn't want to lose any of it. And I ended up having some of those off notes in there and didn't know that that was where it came from until I was talking to Pete about it. And he says, well, did you squeeze the bag? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he says, there you go. So, you know, well, I, I have this, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Rube Goldberg and I've got this little contraption set up where oh, God. The, the bag, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> the bag will actually hang over the top of the fermenter and I'll be allowed to drip. I'm, I'm not a believer. Oh, and in a, squeezing wait, the you don't bag. have a little boot that swings in from the bottom that kicks the bag or something. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're going to do a Rube Goldberg, do it right. You know, big fly swatter comes in. Because the cat tripped the thing when he ate the cheese, you know? I mean, right. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I well, mean, come on. The, uh, You're right, Rube Goldberg. <laughs> so far. The, oh, the, and the dog there. agrees with me, see? Yeah. Um, so far, it, it tastes uh, pretty good. It's, it, it's a little on the tart side, but I suppose that's to be expected after 308 grams of acid being added back. Uh, but the pumpkin is very prevalent. Uh, now, it doesn't taste like grandma's pumpkin pie yet because obviously the spices haven't been added. They yeah. make syrup haven't been added, but it definitely has a very distinct pumpkin flavor. Uh, yeah, you, need to, uh, you need to give me the recipe you ended up going with because we were still debating last week. <laughs> yes. So give me the recipe that you ended up doing and I'll put that on last week's show and then I'll take this that you've got here in the show notes and put it on this week's show so people can see the progression. Right. If you hold your cursor over JD's pumpkin project in the show notes. I should oh, is that linked to the, link. to the web? Yep. Okay. It's actually right, to, a, I moved it to a blog. I, I set up a blog, so I'm just updating the blog as I go with this thing daily. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you've got a free blog and got me just saying. Yeah. If yeah. You that's keep, where if you want to use it. Yeah. yeah that's, that's where that's, it is. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I'll go snag it off of there then so that it runs in two places and just link it back. Yeah. And that's the uh, I've updated all of the ingredients and everything. So, uh, you know, that's that's what we're running right now. So, okay. uh, but, you know, uh, like I said, Oscar, very ah. pumpkin. Uh, there's a lot of sediment. I mean, the must is very thick. Um, and I suppose that's from product leaching out of the fruit bag. Uh, and I suppose that's going to be okay, huh? Yeah, it's just going to take a little while for it to clear, which is fine. You might have to find it at some point, literally. But uh, uh, for now, it's okay to have that in there. Once you pull out the uh, the fruit, not the fruit bag, but all the pumpkin in, in the bag out of there, you're going to have about a, you know at least a one gallon displacement, which will probably be a good place for that uh, mead that you've got sitting, the must that you've got sitting in the refrigerator. 
to go in and give you that nice little uh, um, top back up with it. So um, yeah, and of course that, well, and, that's going to come after the maple syrup. However, yeah, well, that then that makes sense. Yeah. Um, at that point too, when you rack, you can just you know you know put a uh, a cheesecloth or something like that and rack through it if you want to help take out some of that extra pulp that's laying around in there. Well, I'm I anticipate five gallons, and it's in a seven gallon fermenter, so I ex- I fully expect to lose a couple of gallons, uh, just based on the sediment value. It may even come to more than that. I, I don't know yet. So. Um, but the plan is to rack into a five gallon, uh, carboy. In fact, I may even go pick up a six gallon, uh, uh, just in case. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, my plan is for five gallons. I mean, if it comes out a little bit less than that, I'm okay with that too. So, but you know, I guess that concludes the update, uh, for the pumpkin uh, pie project. Everything seems to be according to plan, going according to plan. I'm happy with the fermentation. It's still very lively, even with the blow-off tube in it. I mean, it's still blowing off about once every five or six seconds. Um, and uh, life goes on. So, next question. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we don't have any callers awaiting on the line, um, one that occurs to me, and it's kind of in line with the pumpkin project, but it applies to a lot of other meats, is the haze a lot of these types of meads especially if you're using a big heavy fruit component or in this case a vegetable component you end up with that haze at the end so what's best practices here when you end up with that haze and you want a pretty mead well it it depends on what's causing the haze Okay, well, I'm just, look at let's start with the pumpkin project and just, you know, a couple different ones. Um, okay, well, pumpkin, you know, haze is going to be from all of the all of the uh, the pulp that's still in there. So you're just going to have to get take some time and let it settle out. Um, you know, putting it into, uh, you know, when you transfer to a carboy or something like that, if you have a uh, kegerator there, crank it way down to about, you know, um, 36, 34 degrees um, to help sediment some of that out. Once it's sedimented out, rack off of it and let it stand for a while again and see if uh, see if it clears. If it doesn't, then you'll have to move on to fining or filtering, depending on you know if you have a if you have a bottle filter, that's great. If you don't, then uh, fining it is. And you know the the sky's the limit on those. There's sparkaloid, there's Isinglass, there's all kinds of different kinds of stuff that you can use. If you're using uh, eyes and glass, just be aware that there's some people that are allergic to uh, fish. Um, so you got to be careful with that. If you're using casein, uh, there's some people that are allergic to milk. So you got to be careful with that. Is there any impact on flavor when you're using those kinds of uh, materials to clear your meat? Yeah, there's, I mean, they, they all bring something to the table. Um, the, the trick is to uh, find the one that is... Um, least impacts what it is you're making. So, you know, if you're using bentonite or super clear or sparkaloid or isinglass or casein or even pigeon egg whites, um, they all they all bring a little something to the table. So it's always a good idea to go with the light hand at first to see if that clears it off. If it doesn't, then, you know, sometimes a, a little bit of sitting time in, in bulk storage 
will help to clear it. Uh, you can also, if you're planning on oaking it, that's a good time to oak it. You can also add small amounts of grape tannin to help clear it as well. Um, you, can, you know, you can make small doses into things without really impacting the flavor uh, to the point of where it's going to be discernible by most people, or, or in some cases, most of the people most of the time. So you kind of have to, you know, manage your batch. You're, you're the manager of that batch. You have to decide what's best. You know, mix up some of each one of those uh, clearing agents, one of those finding agents, and, and try a little bit in each one of them and see what they bring to the table as far as flavor, if any. You know, different smells. So, you know, um, take each batch individually. Things like bentonite. Uh, I, I've read there's just quite a... Well, I wouldn't say quite a debate, but there's some controversy or at least some Spirited question about conversation. Using, yeah, about <laughs> using bentonite. Uh, can you allude on that at all? Oh, everybody has their own little, you know, hobby horses. Uh, I will say that 99% of the people that have told me they can taste a finding agent or they can taste this or they can taste that will not do blind tests with me when I ask them if they want to try that. <laughs> so, okay. the problem is everybody forms an opinion and once they've stated that opinion openly and and committed to it then they don't really have anywhere to go but to say this that or the other thing you know it's like if right. they, you know and they don't want to get called out for it now i'm sure there are plenty of people out there who notice a certain flavor or influence from bentonite or any other finding agent. And if they do, that's great. But uh, um, it, it's been my experience with people that yap the most about these things, influencing flavor as such, really, you know, don't have uh, all of the information at hand or the experience at hand or the tasting experience at hand on some of the things. Am I saying that it doesn't affect it? Hell no. There's people out there, including me, that will taste some things. Uh, or will notice a slight influence, whether it's an aromatic or in flavor or in appearance or whatever. I know that certain finding agents, bentonite included, um, after they've been used, um, if you're taking a bottle that's been sitting for a while and you kind of uh, accidentally twirl it around, you'll notice like a little swirl of something in there, and then it's like kind of hard to tell, but it's actually... You know some of the remnants of that finding agent in there, and that's that's been stated out in the forums as well that more than one or two people have actually seen that. So that's that's something that I give a a bit of credence to. So it's it's going to manifest differently in, in different needs. If you're just finding for finding's sake, you know, if you made a traditional, it's clear that you want it to be ultra polished. Well, you know, maybe you want to second second guess that and say. You know, it's clear as it is. I don't need to try and find this, but I know people that will because they want to enter at competitions. And that's the other thing. If you're, if you're not entering competitions and you just want to make it pretty, you want to maybe think about getting a filter at some point. Um, but if you're entering competitions and you want it to be pretty, you want it to have a fine polish on it, then, you know, filtering is the way to go. If you're at the home need maker level, cartridge filters are going to cost you less than going out and buying a plate filter and, you don't even want to know what a crossflow filter is going to cost you. <laughs> yeah, no or, kidding. Um, so what what do you do when you've got one that's stubborn and is resisting? Um, I've tried Sparkloid, Bentonite, and uh, whatever was in the packet that came with my last wine kit on a banana wine, and it stuck. the stuff is still cloudy. 
I uh, put it into my two-stage Enomatic filter with uh, the first filter at one micron and the second filter at 0.4. Okay. Guess that was what? easy. Guess what? It goes away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was getting around to that. It's just a, such a pain to drag out the... the my, yeah. I've got a, I have a... Uh, what is it? Bonvino. Yeah, it's not bad. It's just the thing doesn't prime worth a damn, and it's a real pain to get started. So, well, at least it's not like you know. And I hate bananas anyway, so I'm not really (laughs) in a hurry. But (laughs) I take it this is a gift mead then. Well, I I I made it because the bananas were really essentially gifted to me and starting to go. So it's like, yeah, okay. I always wanted to try this. I wonder if I'll like it any better that way, but. It's no, either, I don't really. It's either yeah. banana bread or mead, right? Yeah. I like banana bread. I'm not real hot on the banana wine. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty fond of banana bread too, especially with walnuts. Um okay, I've got a I've got to ask Oscar question to throw at you that we got in. And it's from Jason Bishop, who is Mazer828 on the forum. And he it's an interesting question. I don't think it'll take you long to nail it, but it's, I think it's interesting. He says, two scenarios have often made it difficult for me to estimate final ABV, staggered feedings, and addition of fruit. I've asked on the forum and gotten some good feedback, but I'm a perfectionist. Gee, this sounds like somebody I know. And the <laughs> answers were, let's say, less than perfect. So my question for Oscar is in two parts. One, when doing a high-gravity mead and adding two or three honey additions, after initial pitching, also removing some of the mead to make room in the carboy for the honey additions, what is the best method to accurately calculate final ABV? You know, without scientific equipment and knee bullyometer, it's all you're doing is guesstimating. Uh, you can back into it. There's any number of spreadsheets and addition calculators out there. Um, I, don't, I don't feed my mead like that very much anymore at all. And all I did was, you know, basically use the Got Mead calculator, and there's even like a uh, um, a blending utility that's on that as well that will give you, you know, potential alcohol by volume and such uh, as you keep ratcheting it up. But, uh, um, you know, if I'm making a high-gravity mead, I don't really want to be adding honey to it um, anymore. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, I, I've done that before in the past, and wasn't really pleased with the final outcome, although some of them turned out well. Most of them were, you know, they had kind of a, uh, you know, phenolic kind of uh, higher alcohol, boozy kind of character. They were hot, they were fusely, and they didn't really care for them that much. So what I do, and uh, I think I've talked about it before, as as far as step feeding, is I just take a a different view of step feeding, and that is I get my must up to the, uh, the gravity that I want, the bricks that I want. Um, so I have the, the the starting concentration of sugar that I want in the must. And if it's super high, say like over 1.14 or, you know, like over 34 bricks, uh, what I do is I go ahead and I make a starter, you know, about a two liter starter. And I go ahead and uh, add like a half a liter into it. Then I'll add another half a liter until it's up to you know, three liters and I'll add a full liter. And once that thing is going, I add it gradually back into the must, the high gravity must, because the yeast has become acclimated to that. And you're going to need an ass kicker yeast to go into that and to be able to to sustain the fermentation. So 
you know, that's going to put you into the 18% plus uh, uh, range with that yeast. So you're going to want to be going with something like uh, um, EC1118, K1B1116, um, Uberperm43, LT25, uh, DV10, um, even D80 will take you up to that. So uh, just some things to be, you know, aware of when you're, when you're adding that stuff in. And if you, if you're starting with a high gravity must, and you know, um, you know what your PAV is going to be, it depends on how far somebody's dog is barking. No, that's fee. She's having nightmares. <laughs> okay. So yeah, basically if you start out with uh, a, a gravity, you know, that, that is known, figuring out the PAV isn't too difficult. Um, you know, there's factors during fermentation that are going to, you know, bring it up or bring it down based on temperature, based on available sugar, based on how much you're manipulating it and feeding it and so on. Um, but the, like I said, there's, there's calculators and spreadsheets out there available to anybody who wants to, to really dial into that. I don't worry so much about the PAV as I do about how it tastes and what the final product's going to be. You know, I'm not, I'm not producing need for sale. So things like that, I don't think about honestly, um, because my target audience uh, is family and friends and they're not going to care if it turns out, Hey, I thought you said that was going to be 17%. You know, it tastes more like it's 19%. <laughs> hey, sorry, you don't need to drink it. Get the hell out, you know. And we've all, I think we've all got <laughs> one of those. We've all got one of those friends. I know yeah. I have one. Um, okay, yeah. and then his part two was when adding fruit. What is the best method to determine how much fermentable sugar you're adding, i.e., how many gravity points, so you can accurately determine final gravity and ABV? Anecdotally, I've been looking okay. up the sh- sugar content for each fruit, and let's say, oh. Okay, he says what he's been doing is looking up the sugar content online for each fruit and then calculating how much of the total mass of the fruit is sugar and then assuming that I've added pure fructose sucrose by weight to my mead and dividing by volume in gallons to get the gravity points. Hope I'm close. Boy, this guy is a perfectionist. Okay, well, that's great. Uh, You know, and uh, um, to make a really complex subject a little more simple for myself, what I do is I just take some of the fruit put it into a baggie and roll over it with a rolling pin a few times till I've got juice. Take an eyedropper, I take the refractometer that I've got, drop a couple drops on that of the refractometer, I get a reading on it. Then I go ahead and take as much fruit as I'm going to have in there, um, put it into another baggie and weigh it, and that tells me what my quantity is. Then I use the blending calculator on gotmead.com. How's there that sound? Go. I like it. That's something that had crossed my mind putting this pumpkin thing together and, uh, I, you know, trying to look everything up on, on the internet. I, I came up with something in the neighborhood of like maybe 60 grams of sugar, which really didn't seem like a whole lot that would impact anything in the must. So I just kind of let it go and went with it. Yeah, it's, and, you know, oversimplifying like it did there, it's just, you know, you're basically trying to get an idea of what the juice is, and there's other factors that are involved, pulp, skin, you know, acid, tannin, and everything that kind of factor into that. You know, again, uh, I don't have, you know, like an extra, you know, 25000 13000 however much uh, uh, a uh, gas chromatograph costs <laughs> to give me exact readings. So, and honestly, for me, 
I, I don't care. I don't care about exact readings on how much sugar I'm adding and all that. I know what the base recipe is. I've got a good idea of what the bricks of the um, stuff that I'm going to be adding is, and I know how much of it I'm going to be adding. So that gets me into the ballpark. And, you know, if you're just making stuff at home, um, that's fine. Um, if you end up going professional, you're going to have equipment that's going to help you figure that out anyhow. So, you know, don't, don't get lost in the calculations and the, you know, the amounts don't get married into an exact process that you use for every, you know, every other need that you make. I don't believe that um, one process fits every different need you're ever going to make. Um, I don't believe in that anymore than I believe that there is a standard staggered nutrient addition that you need for making every need that you make. <laughs> it's going to be different with every one of them. Yeah. So, you know, don't let, don't let the math and calculation get in the way of you making the best need that you can. If you feel that it's something that you have to do for scientific curiosity and, and satisfaction, then head on, you know, Google it up. Google's your buddy on this kind of thing. There's probably somebody out there that spent their entire life, you know, figuring out how to calculate uh, over-the-counter blackberries from the Ralphs down the street, uh, how much sugar they bring to the table and acid and tannin and what kind of, you know, characteristics you're going to get from seed astringency and stem astringency and skin astringency and how that's going to affect your PAB. But to me, it's like, okay, I've got five pounds of blackberries. The bricks is 13. I'm adding that into, you know, 10 liters of musk that's at uh, 33 bricks and then uh, just run through the blending calculator and take a look and go, oh, okay, it's going to end up at, you know, X, Y, Z. Great. Now I know what the, uh, what the, the total bricks is going to be. And I'm probably going to have to add a little more honey or a little more juice that's concentrated to bring the sugar level up or it's okay where it is, or I can add a little more, you know, juice that's a lower bricks into it to bring the bricks down so that I come into the number that I want. But, you know, anything past that, honestly, in a home, in a home mead making scenario, I think is overkill. Um, and again, I'm not saying not to do it. If you're, if you're really into it, if you, if you just can't make mead um, without, you know, running calculations on every little bit of it and figuring things out, that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't let it rule the way that you make it. Uh-huh. And or, also uh, look up how you need to, what you need to know beforehand. Like when I was trying to figure that out by math, um, I realized afterwards I needed much better volume assumptions than I was using. Uh, so that's why I just go with spirit indication when it's all over. Perfect. We're lucky to have uh, Ask Oscar with us live tonight on Got Mead Live. Now's the time. If you've got a question, 818-921-4680. Get it in while you got the chance. We've got them here for about another... Collect, collect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, don't call collect, but... Uh, we're uh, we're lucky to have him here on uh, live tonight. Um, one question I've got, uh, Oscar, you keep talking, um, and you've done this with me through our private consultations. Uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to send you a bill one of these days. <laughs> do you know how much he charges to do this? So seriously, I mean, you, you're going to get a bill, and, and your heart will just finally give out altogether, just, you know? I and mean, it's just... Just we'll, saying, we'll, you should warn your wife that she should pay up your life insurance, you know, because we'll it's going to happen. We'll go over, I'll take him over to the block and I'll buy him a beer. Yeah, good luck with that. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> he knows okay. what I'm talking about. 
there's um, a beer. You, a, a, we uh, we've communicated quite a bit with, uh, especially you know, with the traditional. Um, and you you ha- have always mentioned bricks. Uh, is bricks a better? Uh, is it better to use bricks than to use specific gravity or? Uh, would be looking at both when we're making meat. Uh, you know, it, it's interchangeable, really. I, I don't know that one's better than the other. Bricks was a standard used in winemaking. I brought up on winemaking, so bricks was the, the standard that we were using there. It's it's simpler than figuring out gravity. You know, it's it's literally the concentration of sugar and you know ten grams, one gram, you know, however many grams liquid you've got, um, or liters, I should say. So, you know, bricks, gravity, Baum, balling, Play-Doh—they all measure sugar. Um, you know, so it's it's just whatever floats your boat. I'm not tied into one. I am, I am. Uh, how shall I say? Volumetric measurement, uh, flexible, neutral, multilingual. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there you go. You speak. You speak both languages. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And by the way, the traditional is coming along very nicely. I took a taste of it today. I can just, just very faintly, I can taste the the wood, uh, the oak that we uh, put into it. And, uh, of course, continuing very gently, stirring every other day as instructed. Uh, I just, I, I can't wait for the day that I can get you to taste it, bring a bottle of it down to you and get you to taste it. Uh, as much as you've had a hand in this. And uh, certainly thank you for all awesome. the input and everything else for, uh, you know, working with me on it. And I fully intend this pumpkin project was kind of a side thing, mostly for the show and for the community, but I fully intend on doing another traditional, but I want to use a different uh, honey. So, but anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out. Yeah. Get you some mesquite. There you go. Well, I, I I I don't know what you feel about the Trader Joe's mesquite, but uh, I bought great honey. Yeah, I I, I really love it. Uh, I bought five uh, three pound containers of it uh, to use. Uh, you know, getting ready for this uh, uh, pumpkin thing, and I really right. love the flavor. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it will go to crystallize on you quickly, so. Once you buy it, get to using it within a couple of weeks because after that, it's going to start crystallizing. Mesquite um, crystallizes faster than just about any other honey I've used. There's a couple other exceptions out there, but don't remember them off the top of my head. Whereas something like sage hardly crystallizes at all. So it's, you know, uh, it's, is that honey, a bad honey thing? is very different. What's is that, that a bad thing? No. It crystallizes. It just means it crystallizes quicker. It's just, you know, it's just going to go to crystallization quicker than other honeys. Yeah. yeah. So just we means we had. All you need to do. Just means all you need to do is put it into some nice warm water bath and, or wrap a uh, heating pad around it or whatever. Um, about 80, 80 to 90 degrees. You don't really want to go any higher than that. That's close to hive temperature. If I, uh, Right. I'm hearing the uh, the apiists the, around here were correctly, and you know they'll just set their buckets out in the uh, in the sun on a hot summer day, and we have plenty of those out here lately, don't we, JD? <laughs> yeah, you think? 
96, 103 here the other day. But that's why you know. guys don't need weathermen. You know, the 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 forecast today is hot and sunny, and tomorrow continued hot and sunny. Next week, hot and sunny. What do we even pay you for? Yeah, You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's gonna have to mortgage the house just to pay the electricity bill this year. Yeah, <laughs> I just installed a new HVAC system, and I'm curious to see what my electric bill is gonna be for the coming year because my summer bills are usually just out freaking outrageous. They're just crazy. Well, California is not necessarily known for, uh, you know, it's weather, you know, you, you can't count on the yeah. weather patterns out here at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've had, we've had 95 degree temperatures in the middle of January. So uh, as much as this might be a little unusual for this time of month out here, it's not all that unusual for California. So. Well, yeah. It was 20 degrees Celsius no, here yesterday. I, I was wearing shorts yesterday. And, you know, that's up here. Yeah, we're, up in, we're up in the 40 range here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 40 like Celsius. October and, Celsius. This is supposed yeah. to be jacket yeah. weather, like hypothermia if you go swimming I, weather. I know, right? It's like, hello, October. Somebody want to turn off the, turn down the darn thermostat. Jeez. Yeah. I know. It was like 80, it was like 85 here a couple days ago. I was like, seriously? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I am so done with summer. Um, but, um, one, one last question and then we'll let you get on to, I imagine you probably haven't even had dinner yet, Pete. Um, uh, no, actually this, this worked out good. I'm, I'm good. I'm tucked up like a little old bug in a rug here. I'm oh, go. cool. Good. I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to be cutting into the, uh, foraging for food process that happens after work. Yeah. So, um, no, I, uh, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, let's throw another question out there. And, um, you know. Well, I, okay, I know you've one. got more, J.D. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can keep this up all night. Uh, <laughs> let's go just back. Like to you the, say, just remember that Bill's out there. Just be careful. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to, to the uh, traditional Oscar for a minute. Um, uh-huh. You know, comparing this fermentation with the pumpkin fermentation, uh, as you recall, we started out as something around 65 degrees, I think. And I believe that was D 47 that we used. And, Correct. um, it was really, really slow getting started. And you had me take the temperature up to around 72 degrees, 71, something like that. And then it started perking up. I and mean, it was like, you know, waking up a sick child almost, you know. Uh, and it was fine. I mean, it just it took off, did its thing. I gently took the temperature back down a little bit, and it, it, and it was okay. Whereas uh, the pumpkin with the D21, I, granted, this may be the, the difference in yeast, you know, that I'm using. But... Um, I mean, this thing started out at 65 degrees, and I had to immediately take it down to 60 degrees just to try to get it under control a little bit. So why why the big difference? Why didn't the D47 do well at 65, which is perfectly uh, fine for that particular yeast, uh, but it did better at 72? That's the same reason that some people sweat their ass off when it's hot and sunny and other people <laughs> don't see phased by it. It's just 
you know, it's, it's different metabolism, different yeast strains, different characteristics. And, yeah. You know, um, D47 seems to do well right in that range between 65 and 72 most of the time. Um, uh, if it's sluggish, you got to bring the temperature up a little bit, then let it get going, and then you can gradually ratchet it back down. D21, it's like, hey, I got sugar. I got, oh, look at all this pulp. I got minerals and proteins and all kinds of enzymes, too, that I don't normally get in just honey. So take a step back. It's time for me to flex my muscles and go. Um you know, the, uh, the D47 is a Cote de Rhone yeast, uh, from the, uh, the southern portion below the Giroir River over in the Bordeaux region down in the Cote de Rhone where they make a lot of Cote de Rhone wines, you know, like, uh, Chateau de Pop de Rhone wines, uh, featuring things like Syrah and Grenache. Um, the D21 is from the Languedoc, which is further down. Um, in France, down toward the uh, southern portion of France, over toward the uh, area of Spain, and over, you know, about east of, uh, or actually west of, uh, you know, Provence, west and south of Provence. So, uh, different kinds of grape, different kind of weather, different kind of temperatures. Uh, uh, so, you know, different strain of yeast. It's going to have different kind of characteristics. And there, a lot of them there working with uh, white grapes, uh, peak pool, and some of the others, even, you know, a lot of people down there now making Chardonnays and straight ahead Cabernets. And so the yeast strains that you have down there are going to, you know, act a little bit differently than you do. And they're going to be acting up further north, um, uh, which again, uh, further north is referring to closer to the, uh, the west coast of France, uh, just toward the middle, you know, if you're going north and south. And then even further up, you're talking about, again, different kinds of strains of yeast, uh, that you're going to find in the Loire Valley doing those Colombards and Chenin Blancs and Sauvignon Blancs up there uh, that make the Loire Valley turn out such great white wines. And you've got uh, Burgundy, you know, those nice white Burgundies like Chardonnay and Champagne you know, further up and more to the east. It's a little bit cooler there. So um, your Champagne uh, champagne East, like EC1118 or Priest de Mousse, uh, DV10 and some of the other grapes they use for um, fermenting, you know, like cuvées for making champagne. Or uh, again, they're a different animal there, so they all react differently to to temperature and sugar, uh, the concentration of sugar, the clarity or, or turbidity of uh, the must that they're fermenting. And uh, you know, D21 is very good with turbid musts, as you found out. It just goes crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, I was rather surprised because I thought the cooler temperature would really help keep it under control. But, uh, you know, when you when you came back on that email and said, you know, it's like, you know, it'll take off like a rocket. I thought, hmm, I might be in trouble here. So I, I purposely didn't plan. We did all of our errands early in the morning and I was back here uh, rather quickly uh, because I, I didn't want this thing, you know, I didn't want to come home to this orange slush all over the floor or uh, ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, I caught it just in time. Uh, as I said, I mean, I managed to pull the airlock. The airlock was almost full, uh, by this time, but managed to pull it off and quickly get the, uh, the blow off tube, uh, 
uh, inserted, uh, and I mean everything's fine. I mean, and it's still on there now. I mean, I just I hesitate to even put the damn airlock on, but uh, <laughs> it. Uh, I mean, it's moving. It's still just it's humming away. I mean, it's you know probably maybe every three seconds, three or less even. Uh, you know, I mean, it's still just popping off over here. So. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know how long to, to expect it to be that way, but, um, you know, I'm hoping I can get a few more days, uh, because I, I really need to add this maple syrup to it before it stops fermenting. Correct. Yeah. Or I mean, at least um, before it gets right real toward slow. The end of it, yeah. Before it gets real, it's too far. Um, so you want to be sure to get that in there, you know, you know, before it's time to rack the secondary, but while you've still got some active yeast, it'll kick up again. So you'll have to, you know, kind of like be, be careful with it. But at the same time, you, you definitely want to get it in there. So you'll get some sugar reduction out of it as well. So you don't taste like just raw maple syrup in there, which is not terribly bad, uh, as a, as an ending addition, certain needs here. Yeah. So. Very good. Well, uh, I'm surprised that we don't have any callers, Vicky. I mean, this is usually one of the one of the popular segments on the show. People yeah. are lining up here. Well, you know what it is is that they're they're so in shock that you're not sure what to do. And just to end, Pete, you do intimidate people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten a few of the Ask Oscar emails that are like. I'd call in if I had the courage, but here's my question. You know, so yeah. Um, and I keep telling them you're just this guy and you're a lot of fun to drink beer with and, you know, and everything. They don't believe me. Uh, well, with that picture yeah. of Gollum as his, as his icon. Yeah. It's not like it's I'm just, the Pope or anything. It's tasty, precious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not like I'm the, the Pope of Mead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we could have so much fun with that. <laughs> Give him a pointy hat and everything. Yeah, it's not. Well, yeah. yeah, I'm not the one wearing silk dresses and running around with a little <laughs> silk hat on either. So, you know. Oh, boy. Well, I haven't seen you do that, but that doesn't mean you aren't, you know. I don't think <laughs> a year or so. Oh, dear. It Although I remember one time, <laughs> I remember one time when I had a beard, I was out at dinner in Newport Beach, and a couple people yeah. came over and asked me for my autograph. And I was like, ah. sure. So I like, you know, like put my, you know, scribbled it like that. And then they get back over the table and I hear Pavarotti. Pa- oh, Pavarotti. So they thought I was Luciano Pavarotti. Oh, that's, so funny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's great. Should have broke out in song. Oh, funny. Yeah. yeah you should have emailed Pavarotti and let him know that you do stand in for him, you know, as long as he kept you in wine. Yeah. <laughs> well, Pavarotti. You gotta figure he's got access to some good stuff, you know. You can swap him. <laughs> I'm guessing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I'll tell you, uh, it's been a heck of a night. Uh, and uh, last chance for anybody that wants to call in, get a question to ask Oscar. Again, the number, you ought to have it written down or on your speed dial, 818 Store it on your phone. Yeah, 4680-818-921-4680. I mean, you know, as long as I'm producing a show, that number is never going to change. So, uh, you know, you know, like Vicky said, just, you know, store it on your phone. Put it in your speed dial or whatever. But, um, you know, I mean, I could fill the night up asking questions. Uh, and I really don't want to, but I'd rather have other people call in and, and 
uh, you know, get down to business on some of the questions that they might have. So, yeah, I think one of the things too, it's like you were talking about it. It's funny because it doesn't occur these kind of things. I'm just kind of like, um, you know, when somebody asks me a question, it's kind of like off the top of my head, most of the stuff I know off the top of my head, there's sometimes when I have to go back and look at stuff, kind of figure out what the hell it is I'm talking about because I haven't seen it for a while. I haven't talked about it for a while. But when you send me that email saying, hey, it's taking off, it's starting to bubble real good, and I'm, I'm noticing an uptick in the number of bubblings that you're seeing, the frequency of the bubbling, they go, yeah, he's getting ready for, for it to take off. And I sent that email, said, hey, it's going to take off like a rocket. And sure <laughs> enough, I've made that thing enough times to know there's like, once the activity starts going in the airlock and it starts picking up, get ready, because it's, you know, it's, it can yeah. get out of hand in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to think that the temperature had, had a lot to do with it, um, you know, keeping it under control. Uh, because, like I said, I mean, I, I, I did kind of do my research on the yeast. Uh, it's, a, it's a good yeast to ferment at low temperatures. I mean, it goes all the way down to 53 degrees. Uh, and, uh, I mean, that's just that's pretty darn low. Uh, you know, I think, but, uh, you know, apparently it does well at that temperature. So, uh, you know, and of course, as I go along in this whole mead making experience, I mean, I, I guess the biggest lesson that I've learned is the temperature control. Uh, and, you know, I was corrected, uh, you know, last time about it not being the most important, but it, is, it surely ranks up there. Uh, you know, if, if, you know, listeners who are going to listen to this show later or even listening now, I mean, if you're having problems with your mead, you know, I, I would probably check my temperatures first. Would you agree, uh, Oscar? Yeah, absolutely. So the two, two things that I notice a lot of the times that really are uh, either impeding uh, progress or taking you way past where you thought you would be in two days um, <laughs> are temperature. If the temperature is too high, you're going to have an extremely rapid extremely fast and extremely short-lived fermentation. Um, you know, you cook your yeast off and that'll be that. You'll, you know, run it down real fast and it'll be an incomplete ferment. Then you'll have to go through the pains of trying to restart it. And good luck with that, especially on something like a pumpkin because there's <laughs> yeah. just so much stuff in there. But uh, the other thing, like you said, is pH. Um, you know, pH can play yes. a big role, especially... Um, I saw somebody had posted on one of the mead groups that they, they couldn't understand why things weren't taking off. The pH was at two eight. And I go, well, you Your can't understand that. Maybe it's time to take. Hey, what? Go ahead. What was that? Because your pH is at two eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why it's not taking off. Um, yeah, acid much. Um, so, well, okay. Now here we're. Yeah. Explain how that works. What's the relevance in in the pH to the ferment then? Well, the relevance is you don't like most yeast don't like pHs below three point two, three point three, three point zero. You know, if your yeast if your ferment starts off and you're sitting at three point four, and then you see that it starts dropping at three three, three two, three one, but it's still going, and then it goes, you know, two nine, two eight down into that range. Uh, but the, the fermentation is still going. You've probably got a yeast that's going to react okay to the acid. But it's very different than trying to start at 2.8 because, you know, it's very tough for the yeast to get the, to get the little 
you know, motors are running in that kind of uh, acid environment. So you have to buffer it up till it's more in their in their little happy zone. And once they are, once they get established, they can, you know, they can kind of roll with the punches as the, the acid level changes up or down. But uh, starting, what, do you, what do you what do you do in that case? I mean, what, what do you add? I mean, you're, you know, right at the beginning, you fish your yeast; it's not doing anything. The pH is two point eight. What do you what do you do? Uh, first thing I do is I check the pH before I pitch. If it's down at two eight and I'm getting ready to pitch, you know, I don't even mix up my I don't even rehydrate my yeast until I know what the pH is. Okay. And that, and what, that, and, that prevents that, that problem. Now, if you find out the pH is super low, let's say it is. Let's say it's down at 2.5. Well, get out the potassium uh, bicarbonate and uh, start buffering. Yeah. Bring it up, you know, 3.4, 3.6, 3.8. You know, it, it likes it in that range, and that's that's a safe range for yeast to be running around in. And you'll notice that it, uh, it'll it drop back down as it, uh, as it ferments as well. There's certain yeast like D80 that bring, you know, bring more... Uh, more clarity of that acid into the mix when you're fermenting with it, especially in grape wine. You know, it really, it brings that acid out front. Where in, in a lot of other, um, a lot of other yeast, D21 in particular, it doesn't really go out there and showcase the acid as much as it does the that nice uh, carbohydrate kind of uh, glyceric roundness. Okay. Well, I think uh, that's going to bring us to a close for uh, Ask Oscar here tonight and Got Mead Live. Uh, we're about at the end of the show here, ladies. Um, yeah, I've got a shout-out. You have a shout-out? I do have a shout-out. I got a call earlier this week from a gentleman. His name is John Torrio, and he owns – or. I think he and his wife actually own Sant's Honey Company in Easton, Pennsylvania. It's a honey company. It's almost 100 years old, and they bought it from the owners who, well, you know, got old, and there wasn't anybody to take it over. So they're carrying on a family tradition with a new family. And they actually, what I liked about the place was they sell minimally processed honey, and they sell it in bulk at really, I mean, he was quoting me prices, and I just, my jaw hit the floor. I mean, just the, the, the good prices. So it's Sant's Honey Company for any of you out there who are looking for bulk honey, especially if you're in the Northeast area and can, you know, get there and the shipping shorter for you. And it's S-A-N-D-T-S HoneyCompany.com. They are, and he, he was really awesome. I mean, he had a lot to say about the honey and you could hear the passion for what he's doing here. I was really impressed. So I just wanted to give a shout out to him. So, Wow. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Well, I want to uh, make mention that, uh, you know, most... Oh, Wait, Pete's got something. Go ahead, Pete. I was going to say I have a shout-out, too. Go ahead. Um, yeah, if, if Kate Upton is out there listening, quit calling me drunk <laughs> off your ass at 3 in the morning. Nice. Tell, her, tell her to send text, drunk text. They're so much more fun. <laughs> what? I want to make mention, uh, you know, state state and county fairs uh, season is pretty much over with. So if you submitted your mead to a competition in a state or county fair, uh, make sure you post the results. We'd love to hear about it. And uh, we might even bring you up on the show. So, uh, oh, totally, sure that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to hear about it. And then uh, a shout out to James Timon. Uh, you know, and of course, 
Vicky and AJ cleared up this mead group thing for me today. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he's been going around thinking that all these other mead groups were us. <laughs> yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with their great mead groups, but they're not got mead groups. It's all, you know. There, there's this other mead group out on Facebook that I've been I've been visiting almost religiously thinking this is, you know, the God mead, you know, type of thing here. Well, but, th- Keep it, you know, keep in mind, JD. Some of those people are got meters. Sure. Yeah, yeah, a good number of them actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah, it's mead, and that's all that matters. So. You know. But uh, I want to throw a uh, shout out to James Tymon. Uh, he just finished racking a blackberry mead to his demijohn onto some fresh blackberries. But it's not the mead that impresses me. You got to take a look at what this demijohn is sitting in. It's the most fantastic looking demijohn rack i've ever seen and i want one so uh, <laughs> so james if you want to if you want to uh, you know you could sell one to jd because he's yeah. got all this time on his hands and apparently he's got a lot of money because he's out buying all this cool stuff so well you know, and I'm just saying. I, I, I believe he's in texas uh as i recall uh you know if i'm not yeah. saying <laughs> How bad can the shipping be to Southern California? I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> Hell, I'll drive down and get the damn thing. There uh, you go, James. Start building. Start building. The uh, upcoming events here, uh, still talking about the Domerus Cup, a 17th annual meat-only homebrew competition. You can go to homebrewersassociation.org and get all the particulars. Uh, just click on, I believe it's the event tab or whatever it is uh, up there on the top of the menu. Entry fee is 7 bucks. Deadline for the entry is January 27th, 2016. Competition date is February 6th, 2016. And you can contact Mike Tripka at Mike underscore Tripka. That's T-R-I-P-K-A at Yahoo.com for more information about that competition. Also, uh, if you uh, read uh, Winemaker Magazine, Winemaker International Amateur Wine Competition is also coming. Uh, entries must be submitted by March 11th, 2016. You can get more information at winemaking.com uh, in the competition menu. And uh, Vicki, our next guest next week is uh, Byron DeGraw from 810 Meadworks. Yeah, um, for those of you out there that are looking to listen, starting next week and for the next six episodes, we will be talking to meteries in process, to people who are starting a meadery but aren't open yet. So if you've ever thought you might want to do this, these are the people that are going through it right now. They're going to have so much great information to share. And uh, it's just going to be really interesting to find out what their journey's been like, the things that they've learned. So, uh, again, if you're thinking about starting a meadery or you were just idly curious about what went into it, these are the folks you want to listen to. We've talked to a lot of experienced professional mead makers, but these guys are people just like you. They're home mead makers, and they've decided to make the jump. So, it's a fascinating thing. I'm excited about this. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's going to do it for us here tonight on a Tuesday night. So, hey, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back here again next Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. Thanks to uh, Pete. Ask Oscar for uh, joining us live here tonight. Make sure you tune in next week for more Ask Oscar. So with that, say goodnight, Vicky. Goodnight, Vicky. Say, g- <laughs> <laughs> say goodnight, AJ. Goodnight, AJ. Say goodnight, Pete. <laughs> 
Peach Luck Sleep. Luck or not. You forgot your name. All right. We'll, <laughs> we'll see everybody next week. Night, y'all. <laughs>